Well, good day, everyone, and welcome to First Baptist in Rocky Top. Thank you for being here, and thank you for listening. Um, I would invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be continuing our series of Christmas messages today and kind of looking at some of our famous Christmas songs and Christmas carols as a guide. We're going to introduce a new song today, or at least the story behind the song in the message. The author was William Chatterton Docks, and he was the son of a surgeon, and he spent most of his life as a businessman working as a manager for the Maritime Insurance Company in Glasgow, Scotland. He was a lay songwriter. He never made a career out of it and achieved a career-level success, but he would pen the lyrics to many tunes for his local church. But his most famous song was written to an old tune called Greensleeves which was from the mid-1600s. In fact, it was a tune so popular that even William Shakespeare referred to it a couple of times in his plays. William Docks wrote new lyrics for the tune, again, Greensleeves, and we call this song, What Child Is This? While not exclusively a Christmas song, it has come to be associated with this time of the year, and the opening line goes like this. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? The song asks the question of all questions, a question that can bring peace and determine our eternity. And today we're going to look at the journey of some very well-known characters in the New Testament, the wise men, particularly of the Christmas story, very well-known, and their personal question, personal quests, I should say, to answer this most important question. So here we are in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read several verses, and then of course as we go through it, we'll revisit some of the key moments. Chapter 2, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
a very well-known story here in just a few verses in the opening of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 2. So the wise men arrive at first in the city of Jerusalem. When you take all the gospels together, they give us an incredible mosaic of the life of Jesus, of his miracles, his actions, and the character of God. In the birth story, or the nativity story as we often call it, Matthew gives us some sparse but curious details that have long become such an integral part of the great Christmas story. Now Luke, which we'll be visiting very soon at this church, records the details of the baby in the manger, the great heavenly host proclaiming the message of Christ's birth to the shepherds, Mary's beautiful and triumphant songs that she sings. But Matthew gives us some details that occur after the glorious night in Bethlehem that we so often beautifully picture in our imaginations as I. So we read here of the search that eventually leads them to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is one of those places that has almost universal recognition among Christians across the world. Bethlehem is spoken of in many children's Christmas stories. Bethlehem is the subject of many great songs of our faith. And again, there's a warmness to its name. It has a great historical prominence. Bethlehem was the ancestral home of King David, that great king of Israel and founder of the Davidic royal dynasty. But it was not a large or significant town. It was a quiet, quaint little town six miles to the south of Jerusalem. Generously, no more than 600 people were thought to have lived in Bethlehem at the time of the birth of Jesus. And so we're quickly introduced here to a very shady figure a man by the name of Herod, Herod the king. In both ancient and modern writing, this was done, by mentioning these rulers, this was done to provide a date stamp to the event and introduce also a climate that would have been present as a result of this ruler's disposition. It's worth noting that many biblical authors, by providing these specific names and places, they only solidify their credibility as accurate recordings of historical events. It's such as to say if people are skeptical of the writing, they could either prove or disprove what had been written by simply investigating the events for themselves. And of course, these events have not been disproven, but then as of now, evidence always supports the writing of Scripture. So the reign of Herod gives us an important chronological marking point. Jesus was born before, of course, the death of Herod, since he's mentioned, Herod the Great is who we're talking about here. And Herod is uh, supposed to have died around the year 4 B.C. So it's while the exact date of Jesus' birth is unknown, most people believe that he was born in the year about 4 B.C. There's a whole thing with the calendar that explains what is seemingly an error there of Jesus being born four in the year 4 before Christ, but that's a story for another day. So this Herod, once again, was known as Herod the Great, and he had earned this title in both notable and sinister ways. He was indeed great, in some ways great as a ruler, a great architectural builder and administrator, but he was great in other ways as well as a cunning political person with so many maneuvers and cruel behavior. You know, we sometimes make the mistake of believing that evil people are stupid people. Rarely 
is this the case. On the contrary, wicked rulers and leaders are often brilliant in their manipulations and devious power grabbing. So we have these wise men coming from the east. Now, picture the famous wise man in your head for a moment. If you're familiar with that classic nativity scene, we have some beautiful ones displayed here at this very church. When we picture these in our head, there are almost always three wise men. They're typically ethnically diverse. They have beards. They are adorned with jewelry and fine clothing, and they are probably depicted as riding camels. They're called wise men, which in the ancient Greek was a word mago. There are a few misconceptions about the legends regarding these wise men, none of which, of course, are detrimental to the curiosity that surrounds them, but they are some fun things to discuss, and I think you might be interested in them. First of all, these wise men, or magi, they were not kings. There's a beautiful song that we sing sometimes called, We Three Kings. It's a beautiful Christmas song, but it does lack some accuracy. It goes, We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we travel afar. A nice little catchy tune that we sing often. I love that song. And to be fair, it's very difficult to sing it as we wise magi of an undetermined number traveling from Persia or Babylon didn't quite have the same sort of ring or pattern to it. But being magi, they were astronomers. And there were also likely more than three. Given their social status, they could have been accompanied by a great entourage, in fact, coming there into Bethlehem. The legend of the three wise men comes from the number of gifts, which were three gifts that were offered. And perhaps, finally, most shocking to people, based on the reading of Matthew's account, the wise men likely did not arrive on the birth night with the shepherds, but several months later, perhaps as long as two years later, now, certainly, none of these are a hill to die on. We are still going to proudly position our wise men with their faithful camels in our nativity scene at our house, but it's worth being aware of. In fact, it's interesting. Church traditions even tell us their names, supposedly Melchior, Caspar, and Balthazar. And you can even go to Cologne, Germany, and perhaps see their supposed skulls in a great cathedral there in Western, or excuse me, I should say Eastern Europe. But we read these wise men came from the East. Now, being from an East gives us an interesting clue to their history and why they, as Gentiles, non-Jews, would have been searching for the king of the Jews. In around 586 BC, the Jewish people were carried off from Israel to Babylon. This is recorded for us in the Old Testament, as well as some extra-biblical sources King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, a rather famous ancient ruler, conquered the kingdom of Judah and exiled the Jews east to Babylon. Despite the tragedy of this situation, the Jews were still largely able to maintain their religious identity. They worshipped God, they maintained the scriptures, they followed Jewish law. Some great and familiar Old Testament events occurred during this time, including stories from the book of Daniel, with Daniel in the lion's den and Daniel and his ability to interpret dreams and the stories of Daniel's companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have heard of some of these stories. And during this time, the Jews would have mingled with the Babylonians, including Magi. And no doubt these Magi, who had great interest in philosophy and prophecy, 
and in astronomy and in other cultures and religions would have studied the foretelling of the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, that a Messiah, a ruler, would be born. In fact, there's a reference to a star appearing way back in Numbers, Numbers 24, 17, that a star would appear from the descendants of Jacob, and it seems that the Magi took this quite literally as it became an indicator of a coming Messiah. So the exchanging of prophecies in the Old Testament scripture had led these wise men to believe that the king, that a king would be born, a king of the Jews. What child was this? They certainly must have wondered to themselves. So they come to Jerusalem. It ends up being the destination of these wise travelers. They were guided by a star. We'll discuss that in a moment. Jerusalem being the holy city of God and the great city of the Jews, these magi expected that the leaders and the people of this capital city would be interested in the prophetic event that had finally come to fruition. So they ask a question. Presumably, someone in leadership would have known the answer to. They say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Certainly the thoughts of these wise men were that this child would have been identified by these leaders. The religious leaders, presumably, who were so close to the teaching of the Holy Scriptures would have known that their king had come among them and that they would have asked themselves, what child is this? But the next statement gives them away. They say, for we have seen his star in the east. In addition to the scriptural prophecies of the coming Messiah, there was a clear cosmological sign that God had done something extraordinary here. There are many different suggestions for the natural origin of this star. Some say that it was perhaps a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Some other believe that there maybe there was some kind of other planet conjunction or maybe a supernova. Some think it was a comet or a specially and specifically created unique star or sign for this moment. Some of you might recall that three years ago, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn that took place on December 21st. I remember it. It was Luke's birthday. And it appeared to be a beautiful, single, bright star in the sky. And this was affectionately called the Christmas star. Astronomers rewinding the motion of planets using advanced software back to the time of Christ's birth have determined that, in fact, the same thing happened back then. There are some ancient Chinese records that also record something called the broom star, which was believed to be a large comet in the sky around the time that Jesus was born. But whatever it was, God got the message out. He guided these magi by star, and I will tell you that I personally believe that God did something special, something supernatural and extraordinary things with this star. In the Old Testament, when God was leading the Israelites out of bondage and captivity from Egypt, he summoned a special pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night that was cast up in the sky that led them and guided them on their journey. You can read about this in Exodus 13. Rabbis affectionately referred to this as the Shekinah glory, indicating the presence and the dwelling of God. I believe that in some way it was some kind of form of this, this special Christmas star. But the wise men say that it was his star, You know, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon observed the following. He said, The star was Christ's star itself, but it also led others to Christ. It did this very much because it moved in that direction. 
It is a sad thing when a preacher is like a signpost pointing the way, but never following it on his own account. Such were those chief priests at Jerusalem. They never could tell where Christ was born, but they never went to worship him. They were indifferent altogether to him and to his birth. They could tell where Christ was born, but they could never went to worship him. They never went to worship him. Church is hard, you know. If you've been a part of a church for a while, or even if you haven't, we've all heard stories or had personal experience that reveal how difficult it can be. This is why it's so crucial that all we do is for the glory of God and that we do it out of love and service for Him. Because if we do it seeking the approval of others, even if our hearts are in the right place, we will always eventually be disappointed. We must keep our eyes on Christ. So although the wise men had come to worship Christ, we learned that this news was not welcoming to the ears of Herod the Great. So when Herod hears this, he's troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Herod was constantly on guard against threats to his kingdom, his rule, especially from his own family. We have covered before that he had assassinated many of his family members who he suspected were being disloyal to him. And so his being troubled is completely within what we know about his character historically. And then, of course, reading that all Jerusalem was troubled with him, it's little wonder why everyone would be troubled. So it was due either to the fact that the people in Jerusalem rightly feared what sort of paranoia might come from Herod upon hearing of a rival king being born, or even because of the size of this great entourage, this caravan that had come with the wise men. So when he hears this, and when they all gather together, the wise men ask, where is he to be born? And the scribes are there, the scribes and the leaders of the law, the chief priests, and they give this answer in Bethlehem of Judea. Because a prophet had said this, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This was the first contact the religious leaders would have with Jesus, They understood the biblical information correctly, but they failed in its application because their hearts were closed. In Bethlehem of Judea, they say, they're quoting the prophet Micah from Micah 5.2. They understood that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. But not only that he would be born in Bethlehem, but that he would be a ruler who would shepherd his people, Israel. These experts had the right information but they seem personally uninterested in meeting the Messiah for themselves. Literally, they were employed to know this stuff, and they missed it completely. One commentator makes the point that had the wise men met with the shepherds of Bethlehem, they would have received better intelligence than they could from these educated and well-learned scribes in Jerusalem. So Herod secretly calls the wise men together to determine the time that the star appears, and they say, go and search for the child, and when you found him, bring back word to me so that I can go and worship him. He was lying, of course. Tragically, Herod would later order the killing of all boys two years and under, and though this is incomprehensibly grim, we can determine that Jesus could have been up to two years old by this time. Once again, because of the logistics involved, the wise men's journey from the east of Judea was not brief, taking at least 40 days by most estimations. But they enter here, and when they come into the house, we read that they saw the young child with Mary, 
his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. We notice here that Jesus, once again, is called a young child. And we also notice that very much so against the custom of the day that the child is mentioned before his mother. Matthew clearly already positioning Jesus for who he was here in his gospel. And so they open their treasures here and they present these gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We've heard this for ages in Christmas plays and Christmas shows and, of course, in the reading and retelling of Scripture. It was common, especially in the East, that you never go and appear before royalty or a person of importance without bringing considerable gifts. And so as we think about who these wise men believed the young child was, it's not surprising that they gave such incredible gifts to him. Over time, we've come to cleverly um, surmise that the gifts had some kind of symbolic meaning. Gold speaks of royalty, incense speaks of divinity, and myrrh speaks of death. The Magi probably did this unaware, but God certainly used these simple ways to remind us of who this child really was. And then we read that they fell down and worshipped him. More important than their gifts is their worship. It must have been a very curious sight for Mary to see these dignitaries do this, important as they were, impressive as they were, bowing down before a young child. Though no longer in a cradle and from a manger, the wise men knelt before Jesus, longing to answer this question, What child is this? In this story alone, with that question in mind, there are three different responses to Jesus. And I find that there is often a pattern in all of humanity that responds in similar ways, asking that very question. What child is this? Who is this? Who then is this? The disciples would later ask. We see three different responses in this story alone. One, there was hostility and defiance. Jesus, and we see this primarily from Herod the Great, Jesus threatened Herod the Great's way of life. Jesus threatened his control, his power, his influence, his kingship, not only over Judea, but his own life. And Jesus does that for you and me as well. He does that for all humanity when confronted with that decision of what child is this? Who then is this? Who is this Jesus? When we are truly pushed to surrender our lives to Christ, truly coming to the realization that we must realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and must bow before Jesus and surrender, making him both Savior and Lord, many will clench their fists and refuse. And for a time, this will work. But the consequence, the eternal outcome, will one day arrive. Secondly, we saw indifference and the confidence of no consequence. When the wise men arrived with the revelation that they were seeking the one who had been born, the king of the Jews, the scribes, and the priests were summoned, the Jewish religious leaders. And that was the reason why. If, any of, if anyone would be full of worship, of joy, of adoration and victory, it would, it should have been them. The day had finally come. What had been foretold for millennia was now a short six-mile southern walk to Bethlehem. The day of redemption, of salvation, was here. But none of that happens. True, they don't get angry and grab their torches, swords, and pitchforks, but they do nothing. They didn't care. 
they were indifferent. There was no desire for them to answer, what child is this? Who is this? I don't know about you, but I find that this is the all-too-common response from many people. People don't hate Jesus. People don't hate the gospel. More often than not, people don't even hate the church. But they don't care, and they see no reason to care. A great peace is before them, the free gift of salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet they would rather remain in the bits and pieces of a fallen world. And then finally, we see the response of worship and adoration. Herod displayed hostility toward Jesus. The chief priests and scribes were indifferent towards Jesus, but the wise men sought out Jesus and worshipped him, even at great cost. When they saw the child, they fell down and worshipped him. William Tipple, the Scottish priest, gives what I believe is the best description of worship. He says, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. We should learn from the wisdom of these wise men. They were not satisfied with merely looking at the star and admiring it. They did something about it. They set out and they followed it. They persevered in their search and they followed after the star. They were not discouraged in the search, when they stood before the chief priests and scribes and those who were doubtful or hostile, and when they arrived at the destination that the star led them to, they entered in. And when they did, they worshipped. And when they worshipped, they gave something, not merely empty-handed adoration. And we see a wonderful pattern here. As Charles Spurgeon said, those who look for Jesus will see him. Those who truly see him will worship him. Those who worship him will consecrate their substance to him. What child is this? Once again, it's the question that determines the course of our lives and our eternities that every person that has ever lived or ever will live will have to answer at some point. William Dox answers his own question in his song in the refrain, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Nails, spear shall pierce him through, the cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the Word made flesh. The King of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone Him. Pray with me if you would, please. Dear Jesus, it is near incomprehensible to think that what started in a feeding trough in an obscure part of the world, we are now proclaiming in a small cold town in Tennessee. And yet we are faced with the same question the wise men were faced with. What child is this. For me and for many here, that question has been answered. You were God, you were Lord, you were the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. You were my Savior, and one day I will see you face to face. 
Gracious God, I ask that you do what only you can do in this church, in this town, in this nation, and in this world. Bring us to you, Christ the King, who salvation brings. In his name, amen.